that if you haven't, and continue doing it if you have. And so just keep her in your prayers. We would appreciate that. And uh, we'll try to keep everyone updated as far as uh, answers we're getting and all that as we feel appropriate uh, through Angela's Facebook page there. John 6, if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. John chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 5 down through verse 12. We will read these verses responsively. We'll read the uh, even verses together out loud. I'll be reading the odd verses alone. Verse 5, the Bible says, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. I want to preach a sermon this morning entitled this, Will you give your lunch to Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, I help pray, Lord, that you today you'd help us as we consider a very familiar story, Lord, one that most of us have heard since we were knee-high to a grasshopper in Sunday school. And God, as we uh, look deeper into the story and uh, God try to uh, pull out some things to apply to our lives today, God, I pray that you would not uh, allow the familiarity of the story to prevent us from getting a blessing, and God, that you'd help us to see and hear and understand, uh, Lord, the dedication, the level of dedication that you want from us. God, you created us for your pleasure. And so, Lord, I pray today as we look at this passage and we see some wrong mindsets and then some right mindsets, you'd help us to evaluate where we are and, God, to make sure that our heart and our mind and our thoughts are in the right place. Help us, Lord, to trust you. Help us to love you out of a pure heart. I pray the sermon today would make sense. And God, I pray if there's one here today that is not saved, does not know you as their Savior, that's a day that they would break down and humble their heart and trust in you and you alone and your, your salvation, your gift on the cross for, for their salvation. Lord, help, uh, help that soul to be saved. Help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I've got a whole lot to say this morning um, in the body of the sermon, so we're going to forego any kind of lengthy introduction and we're going to jump right into the outline. And I, I pray that as the sermon unfolds, the title here will make a little more sense. Clearly, uh, giving your lunch to Jesus, we're not talking about the pot roast that you have in the crock pot at home. Amen? Uh, some of you, after we get done, you'll go over to Golden Corral or you'll run out to some restaurant. And I'm not talking about leaving your plate sitting on the table while you stare at it and saying, I'm giving that to Jesus. 
we're talking about something uh, more uh, figurative with that title, Giving Your Lunch to Jesus. But that title, as we go along, will make sense um, as we get into the sermon here. We're going to take uh, the four different individuals that are mentioned in this story this morning, and we're going to look at the feeding of the 5,000, this miracle. We're going to look at it from their different perspectives, their different vantage points. We're going to look at the negative of uh, two people and the positive in the other two people, and prayerfully we'll draw some uh, great uh, parallels out of their lives that we can apply to our lives. So jumping right into the sermon this morning, notice number one, Philip's challenge. Philip's challenge. Look down with me at John chapter 6 and verse number 5 there. The Bible says, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company coming to him, he said unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. So uh, what does it mean to Prove somebody. You're putting them to the test. You're seeing what they're capable of. You're maybe trying to exploit or make obvious a weakness or a character flaw for the purpose of getting rid of it or making it better. Uh, Along those lines, Jesus knew His disciples. He knew them very well. He knew what each one of them needed. He knew where each one of them had fallen short. And He knew where He needed to get them to during His three years of ministering with them. Let me say here that in order to qualify to be a disciple of Jesus, uh, they could not have been filled with their own knowledge or their own preconceived ideas. Jesus recruited material that was raw. Raw material. He did not go down to the synagogue and get Pharisees and Sadducees that had the Pentateuch memorized. Rather, he chose men who were blue-collared workers by trade. They cast nets into the water. They were tax collectors and of other various sorts of trades along that line. Those were the men that he went after. You say, well, why did Jesus go after uh, the unlearned and the ignorant? He did so because he needs folks who don't know anything so that he can train them i got to tell you, I've, I've tried to work with people uh, uh, who did not want to be reworked with or, or thought they knew uh, more than I did, and, and I knew they didn't. And I can remember being a basketball coach, and you'd have some uh, hotshot kid transferred to the school, and, and, uh, and, and he, all the kids are excited about him because he's got a little bit of skill, and he gets up there on the court, and his shot is broken. It goes in occasionally, just enough for him to keep it. And you try to tell him, pull that elbow in and, and quit using your left hand and, and just push through as such. And, and the kid thinks he knows more than the coach and he won't be coached. And Jesus did not want people who weren't coachable. Jesus wanted young men uh, who would allow him to coach them up. And i got to say that these men were coached up. Eleven of the twelve ended up going out and doing great things for God. Well, this was Philip's time. This was Philip's time. Philip and Jesus, Jesus saw where Philip was and he saw where Philip's thinking was wrong. And so as the crowd is approaching them, long before he fed them, he looks at Philip and just plants a thought in his mind. He looks at Philip and he says, how much money are we going to need to feed this crowd? And then he goes on and he teaches them and he talks to them and he heals them and does miracles, and he leaves Philip thinking about that. Letter A, notice what they saw. Now on the screen it's going to come up what uh, Philip saw. I changed it in my notes to what they saw. And the reason is because we're going to look at both uh, uh, Christ's vantage point and Philip's vantage point with that same question. You know what Christ saw? 
Christ saw a hungry crowd. Christ saw an opportunity. He saw an opportunity. He saw lots and lots and lots of people. Not only did he see lots of people, he saw lots of hunger. You know what you call someone who's getting angry because they're hungry? We call them hangry. Hangry. How many of you are hangry right now? Okay, don't, don't throw anything at me if I go long. Amen? No, no, the songbooks are meant to be sung out. I'm not throwing at the preacher. Uh, uh, but uh, the crowd was growing hangry. The crowd was large. It, uh, we don't know what the temperature was. Maybe it was hot. Maybe it was cold. And it was just maybe a little bit miserable out there. And so there was lots of people. There was lots of hunger. There was little food. Little food. The people were beginning to maybe grumble and gripe. Back to my days of teaching school, I taught school full-time for two years right out of Bible college, and I, I hated that period right before the lunch bell. Because the closer you got to the lunch bell, the less the kids were paying attention. I, one year I was teaching American history, and boy, I just gave myself to that class. I love history, and, and I would get to tell them the stories of the class, and I'd look around, and the kids are getting fidgety. And I look, see them looking up at the clock, and, 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 and occasionally you hear a stomach begin to grumble. Well, this was getting toward the end of the day. A lot of these people had missed breakfast, and they had missed lunch. It was probably approaching dinner time. Stomachs were beginning to grumble. Now, most people are at their worst when they're either tired or hungry. Tired or hungry. Um, I heard someone say, I'll just throw this out here, this is free. Heard someone say that when someone else's kid's misbehaving, it's because they're a brat. When my kid's misbehaving, it's because they're tired or hungry. Right? Uh, so, how quick we are to make excuses for our own, but uh, share blame on everyone else. But the people were hungry, and there was very little food for them to eat. Not only was there little food, but there was little money. There was little money to buy food. Philip would say to Jesus, he'd say, 200 penny worth isn't even enough. I wonder if Philip didn't go to Judas, who was the, the treasurer of the twelve, and say, how much money we got in the bag? Maybe Judas would have said, well, we've got a thousand penny worth. And, and Philip came back and said, look, even if we gave up one-fifth of what we have, it, it wouldn't even be enough for everyone to take a bite. And, and so what Christ saw here, well, he saw an opportunity. He looked out at the hungry crowd and he, listen, here's the point I'm making. Christ is always looking for an opportunity to perform a miracle. Always looking. He's looking for a candidate. He's looking for a situation where he can perform a, a miracle. Where Christ saw an opportunity, Philip saw an impossibility. He saw an impossibility. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that, uh, that uh, every one of them may take a little. He said, look, even if we went out and we spent 200 penny worth to buy bread down at the market and we brought it up and we very carefully rationed it out to everyone, it would be so little that it wouldn't even matter. Where Christ saw an opportunity to, be, be a, to do a miracle, Philip looked at the same uh, thing and he said, it's impossible. It can't be done. It's impossible. Let her be noticed where Philip strayed. Where Philip strayed. He said there, he said, it can't be done. 200 penny worth wouldn't do it. Even if we muster up all the money we can get our hands on, it can't be done. His eyes were focused on the material. On the material. He, he wasn't looking at the master. He was looking at the material. Well, there's, there's just not enough food here. There's not enough food to go around. His eyes were focused on the money. The money. He said, even if we had 200 penny worth, wouldn't get done. 
You ever been there? You got this stack of bills, and you got this much cash. You ever been there? Some of you are there right now. It's not a fun place to be, is it? I can remember um, um, when I was young, I mean, this is a long time ago, like last week, amen? No, this is not last week. This is a long, long time ago. I'd get a call, I'd look down on my cell phone, it'd be a 1-800 number. And I knew it was a debt collector. You ever been there? Now, it's been a long time. And you just let it go to voicemail. Because you know you get them on the phone, they're going to they're gonna make you feel like Satan for not having given them their money on time. Um, the bills are here, the money's here. And you're thinking, this is an impossibility. It's a, it's a growth point in the Christian life where you look at a problem as an opportunity instead of a problem. That's, that's, that's the goal in the Christian life. This great big problem is presenting itself. Oh boy, Lord. Oh boy. You're about to step in and do something great. I just know it. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be great. That's a growth point. Where Philip strayed. Philip had his mind on the material. Philip had his mind on the money. Philip had his mind on the logical. Okay, we got 5,000 men plus all their wives and kids. We've got no food. We've got little money. Nope, nope, can't be done. Can't be done. You know, um, a lot of what we do in life, a lot of where we go, is based on our ability to think bigger than everyone else around us. How many understand that? You get someone who looks at a situation and says, no, it can't be done, and they walk away. Other people walk up and say, I'm going to find a way to get it done. Uh, uh, come hail or high water, it's going to happen. I will get it done. I, I heard a story about uh, 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 they needed to put a road in a, in a very mountainous place, and so they called several contractors to the table, several companies to the table to bid at uh, this, uh, this very difficult task of putting a, a, a road in a very rocky, uh, uh, mountainous area. And uh, several of the companies sent their engineers to the meeting and the, they walked away and said, it is impossible, it can't be done. There was a startup company and uh, they brought their engineers in and the company was still trying to get off, off the, uh, up off the ground. And they looked at it and they said, boy, it's going to be hard. But we think we can do it. You know what? Here's our offer. We can get it done. They were the only offer on the table, so the uh, the uh, the governing body uh, took took the offer, and they stayed at it, and they stayed at it, and they stayed at it until they got it done. You know, oftentimes faith in the Christian life is saying, "I don't know how, but I know it can." I don't see a way, but I know He can do it. I know He can do it, and don't stray into man-made thinking of it can't be done. It can't be done. With God, what's the Bible tell us? All things are possible. All things are possible. God was putting Philip to a challenge here. He was saying, Philip, how much money would it take? And he said, and the Bible says that Christ knew what he would do. He was asking Philip to prove him. Sometimes God walks us up to a big problem. Christian, he's trying to prove you. He's trying to prove you where your faith lacks. Number two, we see Andrew's cynicism. Andrew's cynicism. Look down with me at John chapter 6 and verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five loaves and two fishes, two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Andrew, Andrew was Mr. Cynical. 
Oh, we've got five loaves and not two fishes, two small fishes. You know how uh, people that go fishing like to exaggerate the size of the fish that they caught? Andrew had the opposite problem. He was exaggerating the size of the fish that the boy had. It's just a little minnow. Two small fishes. Letter A, notice that Andrew was cynical toward the giver. He was cynical toward the giver. He said, there is a lad here. Just a little boy. He's just a little guy. Uh, uh, I wonder, and so he discounted the, the gift because of the one that was doing the giving. Uh, when a little child reaches into their pocket and they pull out a quarter and a nickel and a dime and 14 pennies and you hear the ching, 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 hit the offering plate, it always brings a smile to my face. Don't discount the giving of a child to the Lord. Don't do it. Listen, every week we collect an offering in our junior church, and it's usually like $3.14, but God can take that $3.14 and He can do something great with it because of the person that's giving it and the heart of the person that's giving it. Listen, the disciples had a problem with children. Had a problem with children. Our world is filled with prejudice. There's prejudice between black and white, and there's prejudice between Hispanics and whites, and Hispanics and blacks, and blacks and Hispanics, and Hispanics. In every different direction, there's all kinds of the racial prejudices. There's all kinds of class, uh, wealth class prejudices, and looking down the nose of someone who takes a welfare check, or looking, uh, uh, looking down on people who have money, and, and feeling like that they're greedy and selfish and they need to share it. The world is filled with prejudices of, of all sorts, but one prejudice that exists that doesn't get talked about much is prejudices towards little children. Well, they're just a kid. What can they do? They're just a kid. What can that matter? You say, Pastor, are you pulling a little too much out of this passage to say that uh, Andrew was discounting the gift because it was allowed? And I say, I don't think I am. And I think I can prove it. Well, first let me use some logic. Then I'll use some scripture. I wonder, Andrew, if a man in a nice suit of clothes who was honorable and well-to-do, who was wearing a Rolex, had walked up to you with a picnic basket with the same five loaves and two fishes. I wonder if you would have turned it away just the same. I don't think you would have. I think part of the problem was of the person who was doing the giving. You say, Pastor, did the disciples really have a problem with children? They did. In fact, later on, later on we find a story where children are trying to make their way to Jesus and the disciples are preventing that from happening and Andrew would have been numbered in that group. Matthew chapter 19 in verse 13, the Bible says, Then were there brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. Listen here. And the disciples rebuked them. Oh, that's a strong term. The disciples didn't just shoo them off. The disciples gave them a lecture that was fierce in nature. Jesus doesn't want anything to do with you. Get out of here. Verse 14. But Jesus said, Suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. I picture these little kids, they're, they're with their parents, and then maybe they got mom and dad's hand, and they're pulling mom and dad through the crowd, and down underneath the big people's legs, and, and in, in between squeezing, and the parents are bumping and, and jostling, and they get to the front, and there's Jesus in the clearing. They're going to make it to Jesus, and right before they make it to Jesus, whoom, he steps in Peter. And where do you think you're going? 
Don't you know that Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with you? He's too busy working with the adults. Get lost! And I can see these little boys and girls putting their heads down and, and crying, walking away as they had their hopes dashed on the rocks of getting to see Jesus. No doubt Andrew would have been amongst those twelve. And Jesus says, hey, stop it. You bring them right here to me. You suffer them to come to me. Because just like those children, just like those children have faith, of such is the kingdom of heaven. Hey, listen, this Andrew, as he looked at this lad who is bringing this gift, he was cynical toward the giver. Letter B. Notice, before I give you letter B, I'll tell you this quickly. Uh, D.L. Moody was standing up in a church service uh, as he was going around the evangelism trail and he shared with everyone, he said, last Sunday in another church, I baptized two and a half people. And this person shot their hand and said, do you mean you baptized two adults and one child? And he said, no, I baptized two children and one adult. And everyone kind of looked at him funny. He said, the adults already lived half his life. Those children have their entire life in front of them. Entire life in front of them. Listen, that goofy 7th grade boy that likes to flick everybody's ear and get on your nerves, he's going to be running this place one day. Be nice to him. He may be preaching your sermon one day for you younger ones in here. Be nice to him. Be nice to him. Suffer the little children to come unto me. Andrew was cynical toward the giver. Letter B, um, Andrew was cynical toward the gift. He was cynical toward the gift. Andrew would say about the five loaves and two small fishes, he would say this, what are they among so many? What are they among so many? Here you have Andrew. He's looking in this boy's picnic basket. He sees five barley loaves. He sees two fishes. And he looks up. And there are 5,000 men, plus all the women and children. And he goes, small lunch, big crowd. Nah. What difference does it make? Now, in all fairness to Andrew, you and I know the story, don't we? We sat in Sunday school. We had some sweet lady hold up a flannel and say, here's Jesus. He's breaking the bread and the fishes. He's giving it to disciples. And he took the five loaves and two fishes and he fed the thousands. You know the story. Guess what? Andrew didn't sit in Sunday school and hear about the five loaves and the two fishes. Now, let's say that we were able to go in your head and delete what happened. You didn't know it. You're in Andrew's shoes. And you've just been following this guy here for a few chapters in Scripture. You've seen him do some pretty neat things. But boy, nothing on this level. And you look at five loaves and two fishes and you think, okay, yeah, we've got food. But, nah, it can't happen. It can't happen. In Andrew's defense, under normal circumstances, this would have been a fair observation. You all agree with that? But these weren't normal circumstances. Andrew was walking the earth with God in the flesh. Jesus Himself was there. It was God in the flesh. And He could take the, the, the small and He could multiply it into the great. It is natural to think that God can use big gifts more than He can use little gifts. Little gifts. You might go through a time of being unemployed. And you don't have a whole lot of money to give. And you feel God moving in your heart to give something. 
And so you go to the bank and you put your ATM card in the machine and you look at your bank account and you got $22.38. And you go, here we go. You take a 20 out of the bank. You go to church with a heart full of faith and prayer. You put that in an envelope and you drop in the offering. And you think to yourself, well, no doubt there was someone today who cut a check for five or six hundred dollars. And I'm only giving my measly little twenty dollars. Surely that doesn't mean anything to God. Can I tell you that God does not look at the size of the money in the plate. He looks at the size of the faith in the heart. God is more concerned about the faith in which you do your giving than He is the amount that you give. If that $20 was all you had, oh boy, that's a big deal to God. And the people in our church that organize our money, they're not going to know. They're not going to know. There's no line on the offering envelope that says, amount of faith. But God in heaven sure knows. God in heaven knows. You see, Jesus was standing outside of the synagogue one day, teaching and preaching. And he watched this little old lady, this widow. She stumbled into the synagogue in the back where the treasury was, and she threw in her little bit of money she had. God noticed what the woman did. And he told everyone in Luke chapter 21, verse 2, he said, the Bible says this, and he, Jesus, saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. Now, two mites would be less than a penny. Verse 3, and he said, Of a truth I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. What? She threw in less than a penny? And you're going to say she threw in more money into the offering than everybody else did? How could that be? Oh, because what she threw in was not just two mites. What she threw in was a mountain of faith. Verse 4, the Bible says, For all these have of their abundance cast into the offerings of God, but she of her punery hath cast in all the living that she had. Jesus said that lady gave up the last two mites. There was no Medicaid system. There's no Social Security for this lady. There was no son, or rather there was no husband to take care of her. She went down and she took the two last little mites that she had, all the wealth to her name, and she walked into the back of the synagogue where the people worshipped. And with the faith in her heart, she threw that into the treasury while other people are dumping in their gold and their, with, their, with their great ostentatious ways, giving great amounts to God. And God says, it was the widow that outgave the Pharisee that was rich. My friend... God does not need to know. God does not look at the amount on the envelope. He looks at the faith that's in your heart. Beyond that, God does not look at the amount of time you give to the Lord. He looks at the amount of time you have to give and the amount of faith that you're using to give that to Him. God is not concerned with how much talent you have. He's more concerned with the faith behind the talent that you give to do the Lord's work. Here this little boy said, All I have is five loaves and two small fishes. But Lord, here they are. It's yours. I'm hungry. You can have my lunch. Andrew looked at it and said, you're just a little kid. That's nothing. That amount of food, it, 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 
It's not going to accomplish anything. Number three, we see the lad's, the lad's charity. The lad's charity. Now, the first two characters we've looked at here, Philip and Andrew, they had what I call stinking thinking. Stinking thinking. This little lad, the, the, these two men, they were able to look at the material, they were to look at the money, and they were able to say, nope, can't be done. But this little boy, boy, his thinking was different. His thinking was different. In the crowd, there was this little boy who was found with, I would say, for one person, a rather large lunch. Five loaves of bread and two fishes. That's a lot of food for one person. Now I imagine this little boy woke up and he said to his mom, Hey, Jesus is in town. I'm going to go see him. And the mom said, oh, okay. Well, before you go, let me pack you a lunch. Now, I, I can remember being a child going to school, and there was always that kid who had, like, the best lunch. How many know what I'm talking about? The best lunch. Some kids, you thought their parents, like, refinanced their house to buy them a new lunchbox every year. It, 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 they would open the lid, and it, almost like they got a new one every month. They'd open the lid to their lunch, and the Shagina glory would glow over the top of their lunchbox. They open up that lunchbox, they've got 14 snacks of every sort. They're almost like running a vending machine out of their lunchbox. They're making money out of it, right? Like a little hustler kid. And they got, uh, they got everything. And I can remember my mom, uh, we were poor uh, when I was a child, and, and so I'd bring in this measly little bag, and I'd get in trouble if I didn't bring my brown paper bag home, and we'd use them for about two or three weeks, and, and, uh, and it was all wrinkled up and soiled, and, and, and I would reach down inside, and there'd be a smushed, Wheat bread, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You say, Pastor, is there some resentment in your heart? Pray for me. Pray for me. Wheat bread with butter, margarine, and peanut butter and jelly. How many have just lost your appetite? Amen. And then there would be an apple, and there would be some sort of cracker, pack of crackers, or maybe some homemade cookies if I was lucky. And uh, there would be some, I think I got water out of the water fountain. And I would watch this kid, who was the most popular kid in class, and all the cool kids would be around him, and he'd open up that lunchbox and he would pull out a Lunchable. A Lunchable. You think, what, how many you know what a Lunchable is? Do they still have those? I, I don't know if those are still popular or not. When I was a little kid, I look at my little scrawny peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I look at this kid, he's peeling the top off, and he's taking the little bread out, and he's putting the tomato sauce on it. He's got his cheese. He's got his pepperoni. He's making this whole thing. And I'm like, man, I am, I am so coveting right now. This is not good. And, uh, and day after day after day, this little boy, he would have been one of those. He had his five loaves of bread, and he had his two fishes, and he took that lunch, and he went on to be with Jesus, and he got there, and he got so interested in what was being said, he forgot to eat. Boy, lunch went by. And then it got later in the day, dinner came. And, and Andrew is going through looking for someone to see if anyone has any food that can be used. And this little boy thought, well, he can have my lunch. He can have my lunch. He, I'm hungry, but the Lord, if He needs my lunch, I'll go hungry so I can give to the needs of others. Now, what is the definition of charity? 
Charity is defined this way. It is a benevolent feeling, especially toward those in need or in disfavor. A benevolent feeling, especially toward those in need or disfavor. This little boy said, I need my lunch, but the Lord wants it so he can help others. He can have it. He can have it. Now, I've got to say, I love my King James Bible. I just love it. If you look at any of the modern translations, the word charity in 1 Corinthians 13 is swapped out for the word love, and they're not the same word, and they don't mean the same thing. Now, charity and love have some areas where they are the same, but there are things about them that are different. 1 Corinthians 13, I believe, greatly describes this little boy's action in being willing to give his lunch to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that charity is kind. I would label this boy's willingness to give up his lunch to the Lord as being kindness. Charity, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, seeketh not her own. This little boy's belly was grumbling. This little boy's belly was hungry. He looked at his lunch that his mother had made him. This nice, big lunch that his mother had made him. And he said, it's not about me. If the Lord wants my lunch, here it is. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that charity believe in all things. This little boy looked at the Master and said, I don't know what he wants to do with my lunch, but I believe in that man up there. He can have my lunch. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that charity hopeth all things. And I believe that these characteristics and others in 1 Corinthians 13 describe this little boy's heart attitude toward the Lord. Now, I will say this, where there is an investment of great love, faith begins to grow. I was sitting at lunch with a, a, a gentleman uh, uh, here recently who is lost and is seeking for salvation. I've had several lunch appointments with him in, in the last uh, a few months. And he is seeking salvation. And he, he's a very intellectual man. He's a very smart man. and He's getting tripped up on this whole idea that all it requires is faith. And he told me, he said, faith is an abstract thing. How can I have faith if I'm not even sure what faith is. And, you know, I've talked about this from the pulpit several times. Sometimes the Holy Spirit of God just takes over your tongue and just starts talking for you. Especially when you're trying to share the gospel with someone. And this was one of those instances. I looked at him and I said to him, um, can you see love? Can you touch with your fingers love? He said, no. I said, do you believe in love? He said, well, obviously I believe in love. I said to him, I, I called him by name, I said, what would your relationships be without love? He said, I wouldn't have relationships without love. Love is the foundation of all relationships. I said, that's accurate. The deeper you love someone, the more you trust someone. I said, let me illustrate. I said, we're sitting here in this restaurant right now, and we're having lunch. I said, I texted my wife before I left the church to let her know I was coming here to meet with you, to have lunch with you. I said, but how does my wife not know that I'm not sitting here with another woman having a date? How does my wife not know that I'm really somewhere else running around with another woman? I said, my wife trusts me. Do you know why she trusts me? She trusts me because she knows that I love her. I said, faith is born out of an understanding of love. Why is it that you put your faith and trust in Christ for salvation? 
Because there was a point in time in your life where you understood just how much He loved you. And that love was so profound in your heart that it spawned faith to trust Him. If you did not know that God loved you, you would not be able to believe in Him for salvation. You all tracking with me this morning? You understand what I'm saying to you? You say, Pastor, why does that matter? Let me share with you where that matters. This little boy watched Jesus love on that crowd all day long as He taught them, as He healed them, as He gave of Himself to them. He felt so loved by them, He looked at the Master and He said, that man loves me. He loves this crowd. I can believe in him. If he wants my lunch, he can have my lunch. Now, with that as the foundation of what we're getting ready to talk about, let me give you an A, B, and a C when it comes to this little boy's charity and his faith toward the Master. Letter A, notice his innocence. His innocence. Look down at verse 9 of John chapter 6. Andrew says here, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? It is a safe statement to assume that this little lad had no idea what the Lord was about to do with his lunch. How was his mindset different than Philip and Andrew's? Okay, Stay with me here. The disciples, they put their eyes on the crowd. They put their eyes on the material goods of food. And they put their eyes on the money. And they said, it can't be done. They looked at material. They looked at money. And they said, it can't be done. This little boy, he was just as unaware of what Christ was about to do. But instead of looking at material and money, he looked at the Master and he said, I don't know what he's going to do, but I believe. I believe. What, where was his innocence? His innocence was, I'm little. Life has not happened to me. Life has not taken advantage of me. Life has not beat me up. I can trust in God because I know He's going to do something great. Some of you here today, you have been taken advantage of by enough people where you're cynical at everything and everyone, including God as well. And i got to say that this morning that some level of cynicism to the world out there is good because there's a whole lot of people that want to uh, take advantage of you and hurt you. And the old adage of if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. That's a great way to live your life when it comes to the secular world. But you got to lay down the cynicism when it comes to something big that God is trying to do in your life. You gotta lay it down. You gotta take your eyes off your bank account. You gotta take your eyes off your material goods. And you have to say, God, I don't always understand it. I don't always get it. But I want to remain innocent in my faith. And I want to keep my eyes on the Master. And I want to trust in you. This little lad, boy, he was innocent. He was innocent. He put his eyes on the Master and he said, I haven't had life hurt me. I haven't been taken advantage of. And so I can just Trust and obey. Lord, you want my lunch? I'm hungry, but here's my lunch. This little lad literally said with his actions, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know that you can do it. Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know that you can do it. Here is my lunch. Let her be notice his intelligence. His intelligence. Now, you might say, Pastor, you just said he was innocent. He was a child. 
How intelligent can this child be without having lived life long enough to get a, a whole scope of the world view and a whole scope of how people behave? And how, how intelligent could have he really been? Uh, I'm going to say this morning that this young man had a profound understanding of something that many, many, many Christians struggle with. In fact, I'm going to venture to guess that most of you in this room do not profoundly understand what this young man understood. I'm going to go ahead and make this statement. 90% of born-again believers on the planet, I don't believe, understand what this young man understood. Now, deductive reasoning and reverse engineering of him being willing to give his lunch to the Lord, uh, we, can, we can draw a pretty strong conclusion. Let me just read what I have written down here, because I think that if I read it, maybe it can sink in and you can get it. And, and I worked hard to try to make this as concise as I could. Uh, listen intently right here. This must have been the little boy's logic. If I keep my lunch for myself, that would mean the eventual subtraction of my lunch. But, if I give my lunch to Jesus, then that would mean multiplication of my lunch. You with me this morning? Let me read that again. Think that through. If I keep my lunch for myself, that's going to mean the subtraction of my lunch. But... If I give my lunch to Jesus, then that is going to mean the multiplication of that same lunch. Many Christians are squeezing tight to what they have. They are shielding it and hiding it from God. When God uh, asks them for their lunch, they reach in the back and they grab the worst that they can find. They grab the, the smallest amount they can, want, they can muster and get in their hand. And they say, okay, here you, Lord, here you go, Lord, here it is. How many of you are familiar with the idea of being a steward? You remember being a steward this morning? What is a steward? A steward is somebody that takes care of something for someone else. Let me tell you something this morning, parents. Look at me. You do not own your children. He owns your children. If you're a homeowner today, would you raise your hand? You say, Pastor, this is a trick question. Sort of. Your name might be on the title of the home. He owns your home. How many of you here work? You work a job. That's not your job. That's his job that he lets you work. You have money in the bank? That's his money. That's his money. You have a retirement fund? That's his retirement fund. You drive a nice car? That's his car. That's not your car. That's his car he lets you use. I tell my kids all the time, you don't own anything. I own it, I let you use it. They say, that's mine. I said, no, it's not. What am I trying to teach my children? I own it, you steward it. He owns it, we steward it. God says, I want your house. Oh, that's a big request. Okay, Lord. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's your house. I want your car. There's going to be a missionary in town for a week, and he needs wheels around town. But, but Lord, it's going to inconvenience us. doesn't matter. I want your car. It's my car. I'm just letting you use it. I, 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 I need your money. Now, this sermon isn't a tithing sermon. And sometimes God may use you to use your money in a way that has nothing to do with the church. It's his money, not, 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 not yours, not mine. This little boy said, this isn't my lunch. This is your lunch. It's yours. 
He said, if I keep it, I will lose it. But if I give it, I will multiply it. I think there's a Bible verse about that, isn't there? If you keep your life, you lose it. But if you give your life, you keep it. You give your life for the gospel's sake, you keep it. This little boy was intelligent enough to understand, I've got to give my stuff to the Lord. I've got to use an illustration here that I hope will really, really uh, drive the point home. When I was a little boy, I attended Central Baptist Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. It's the church I was saved in. And uh, we had a, a non-perishable food drive where people brought in food for uh, a food bank we were starting at the church. And, and uh, after all the food had been donated, we began to go through it all. My, my dad was on staff there. We began to go through it all. I was helping him and sorting the green beans into one pile and sorting the cans of corn in another pile and sorting the peas why anyone would eat peas, I don't know. Uh, in another pile. But then, the pile that was the largest were the canned beets. Canned beets. Now, how many of you here like canned beets? I am so sorry. <laughs> there is not a more hideous item that could be laid on the table. My mom likes canned beets. And so when I was a little boy, she would take it out of the can... Plop. And she would chop it up. And it looked like she had taken a raw cow's heart and sliced it up and served it on the table. I, I, was, I was horrified. I was traumatized by that. And I thought, how could anybody eat that? And then my mom said, you have to eat two bites before you can leave the table. I left the table last week, amen? Um, there were a bunch of canned beets there. And I remember my dad saying to me, he said, Richard, when the church had a food drive, some people went in their, 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 their cabinets and they took out the items that they wanted the least and that's what they gave to the church. Sometimes, as Christians, we're all we're willing to give the Lord is our canned beets, the leftovers. Well, this over here, it's mine. And if I must give something to the Lord, I'm going to reach over here and get the item I want the least. Okay, Lord. You can have that. This little boy said, Lord, it's all yours. It's all yours. Let her be his intelligence. Let her see. We see his inclination. His inclination. Let's, let's relive this moment, if we could, in script form. Jesus says to, to Philip, Philip, how much money are we going to need to feed all of these people? Philip thinks about it for a long time. He comes back to the Lord. He says, 200 penny worth wouldn't even be enough to give everyone just a handful. We know from the other versions of the story and the other Gospels that the Lord sends the disciples among the crowd to see who has food. Andrew goes to the crowd, a section of the crowd, he says, is there anyone here who has any food that could be given to Jesus? I see this little lad, he looks down at his lunch. He realizes, oh, I haven't eaten yet. I still have barley loaves and I have fish. And he jumps up and he says, oh, I do. I do, right here. Right here, me, 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 me. Use me, i got food you can have. And Andrew says, kid, just sit down and, and just hold on to your lunch. And then Andrew says, does anyone else have food that be, could be given to the Master? He would like to feed the crowd with the food that would be gathered up. There's a moment of silence. The kid looks around. Cricket. Cricket. Cricket, 
He hops up, me, 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 me. I got, I got food right here. I got five loaves and I've got two fishes. And if the master wants my food, it's his. And, 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 and Andrew says, okay, young man, sit down. I'll let the master know about your food, about your measly little lunch. Just sit down. Just, 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 just chill out a little bit. It's okay. It's alright. I'll let him know. And Andrew walks up to the master and he says, Master, there seems to be only one little lad and all he has are these five loaves of bread and two fishes. Now, that's not going to work, is it? Notice what the boy's inclination was. His inclination when there was a need was to give. This young man was charitable. He was selfless. He was kind. He sought not his own. He believed through Christ that all things were possible. Boy, i got to say this morning, I want to be like this little lad. That's who I want to be like. I want to have his heart of charity toward my God. I want to have his heart of charity toward others. I want to have his heart of faith. This little boy's attitude was exactly as the songwriter said, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from Thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as Thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it Thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is Thine own. It shall be Thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour at Thy feet its treasure store. Take Myself and it will be ever, only, all for Thee. What was this little boy's inclination? What was his reflex when he saw a need? Instead of keeping, he gave. He gave. I bet Philip had some change riding around his pocket. He didn't offer it to the Lord. I bet Andrew maybe knew where a little bit of his own stored leftovers were from their travels. He didn't offer it. This little boy said, You want my lunch, Lord? It's yours. We've looked at three characters in the story today. We've got one more to look at. We've looked at Philip's challenge. We looked at Andrew's cynicism. We looked at the lad's charity. Number four, and lastly, let's look at the Lord's capability. The Lord's capability. God took the gift of this little boy. What did He do with it? He fed five thousand hungry men and all the people that came along with them. Five thousand hungry men and all the people that came along with them. We know the story. Look down at verse 11. Jesus took the loaves and when He had given thanks He distributed the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. The likewise of the fishes as much as they as they would. When they were filled, He said unto His disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. And we know there were twelve baskets that remained that were collected. 
The miracle briefly is this, that he took the five loaves and two fishes, and I hope this is recorded so I can watch it again in heaven. And the, I would have loved to have been one of the disciples that coming up, and Jesus reaches down, and bread number one, he broke it and gave it up, and then bread two broke it and gave it to another disciple. Bread three broke it and gave it to another disciple. Bread four, bread five, fish one, fish two, pieced it out and divided it. And then the disciples come back, and the, the basket is filled again with bread and fishes, and continues to break and divide and multiply until all the people had eaten. Boy, I, I, I would have loved to have been a disciple. And, and Jesus shoes them away and then they come back. I, I would have just wanted to send and say, I want to see that basket fill back up. It just continued to fill up and fill up and fill up and fill up. You know, the title of the sermon today is, Are You Willing to Give? Or what is it there? Well, you give your lunch to Jesus. And I said, your lunch isn't the pot roast you have at home in the crock pot. What is your lunch, figuratively? You know what it is, Christian? It's you. It's you. It's everything. It's everything that accompanies or embodies you. Are you willing to give yourself to Jesus? Take your Bibles over to Luke for me. Let's look at Luke's version of the same story. Luke's record of the same story. Luke chapter 9 and verse 16 I believe that Luke chapter 9, verse 16 has in it the formula that God uses when a Christian wholeheartedly, selflessly, totally gives themselves over to the Lord to be used. I believe Luke 9.16 explains through the story of the five loaves and two fishes what God does when we lose our life for the sake of the gospel and we give it to Him. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, Then He took the five loaves and two fishes, and looking up to heaven, notice He blessed them and break and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. Here in this verse we find God's formula for multiplication. Of both our things and us. Letter A, first notice His blessing. His blessing. You give yourself over to the Lord and you say, Lord, everything I have is Yours. I'm not going to hold anything back. It all belongs to You. You you do whatever it is You want to do with it. I am in Your hands. I'm totally Yours. Look down at verse 16. Then He took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven... He blessed them. Let me just quickly say this morning that we all know what God's blessings look like. You live in the greatest country in the world. You uh, all live in nice homes and you have food to eat and you got cars to ride in and you got a road system that's wonderful and, and you have air to breathe and you have function, a functioning body for the most part. And you know God's blessings. But can I tell you this? When you put yourselves into the hands of God and you say, I'm totally yours, you get to learn God's blessing on a whole nother level. God takes you in His hands and He looks up to the Father and He says, Father, bless them. You say, Pastor, if I give myself to the Lord, does that mean I'm going to have a bank account full of money tomorrow? No, no, no. That's not the kind of blessing I'm talking about. I'm talking about a life that is filled full with joy. Filled full with greatness in God. He blessed them. I don't know a person today that doesn't want to be blessed by God. Letter A is blessings, but... My friend, while God blesses you, in order for Him to multiply you in your efforts, He must let her be break you, His breaking. His breaking. Look down to Luke chapter 9, verse 16. The Bible says, Then He took the five loaves and two fishes, and 
looking up to heaven, he blessed them and break and break. We have uh, some friends of mine down to my left auditorium right from uh, Granite Baptist Church, my uh, ministry, ministry I served in for four, four years uh, there. I was the children's pastor at first, the Spanish pastor, and then I transitioned to the outreach pastor. Four years after about, I guess after about, I'd been there about three years, I was 29 years old. I remember Pastor King, uh, he, he came to me and he said, I'd like to take you out to lunch, which wasn't too uncommon. He, he would take, take me out to lunch from time to time and mentor me, talk to me. And I climbed in his truck and we rode over to Chick-fil-A. We sat there and uh, I could take you to the, the place I was sitting in. And he looked at me and he said, uh, Richard, I want to tell you something. He said, God's moving my family on. The next little bit of time, we're going to be moving to Hagerstown, Maryland, and we're going to be taking another church about an hour and a half from here. I was shocked. I was shocked. I got past the shock of all of it, and we talked about that for a little while, and he said, I, I had a meeting with the, the chairman of our deacons, and I, I planned to tell the story before you guys ever arrived, so I, some of this may be backstory to you all a little bit. He said, I, I've had a meeting with the chairman of our deacon board, and we both feel that you should be the next pastor of our church. I was 29 years old. The church ran at that time between 750 and 800 every week. I don't know any 29-year-olds that pastor a church that size in the independent Baptist movement. And I looked at him and said, I'm just flat out not ready. I'm not ready for that load, that responsibility. And to be honest with you, looking back on it, I don't think I was. I don't think I was. The deacons uh, took my resume and they were in the middle of considering me. Things really looked like, behind the scenes, things really looked like it was just going to be a matter of time till I was made the pastor of that church. I remember standing down in the downstairs hallway talking to uh, Pastor Berg, who was one of the older assistant pastors on staff there at the time. And I remember I looked at him and I said, something about this is not right. He was all for me being the next pastor. And I said, I, something about this just doesn't ring true. He said, well, what do you mean it doesn't ring true? He said, you're ready, you're prepared, man. You know your doctrine, you love people, uh, you're, you're a talented preacher, uh, you're ready to go. And I said, no, something about this just isn't right. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, um, God has never really allowed me to be hurt deeply. I said, and as I study the Bible, I see that before God uses people greatly, that they get hurt deeply. I said, we've not yet been hurt. I said, maybe I will be the next pastor, but something tells me that it's just not meant to be. Sure enough, I was not made the next pastor, but a short time later, my wife and I and our family went through, went through quite a bit of hurt. We suffered. I can remember laying in bed with Angela, hanging on the wall, the little apartment we lived in in Terryville was a plaque that had been given to me by my previous Spanish church. And on it were several names of several members who we led the Lord and baptized and put in the pew. I can remember laying in bed and holding my wife in my arms and looking up and seeing those names and crying myself to sleep. Getting up the next morning and getting into a car and riding to a place where I was working a job in the snow, delivering tires, wanting to be in the ministry, not understanding why I wasn't. God needed to hurt me deeply. He needed to break me before I could be multiplied in His kingdom. 
my friend, if you're going to, I just want you to understand what this encompasses. If you're going to give yourself to the Lord, He's going to need to break you in order to be able to multiply you. Don't buck it. Don't push away from it. His breaking. Someone I heard say this. This is a great quote. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write it down. God generally does not use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. God generally does not use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. God generally does not use a woman greatly until he has hurt her deeply. God cannot multiply you unless He is able to break you. Noah had his 120 years of ridicule. Abraham and Sarah had their decades of time being barren. Moses went from a palace to living in a desert. David spent a large part of his life living as an outlaw, running from a king. Job lost Everything. John the Baptist lived on the backside of a desert. Paul spent time being shunned by the early church and then living on the backside of a desert for a while. John the Baptist was tortured in a pot of boiling oil and then banished to Patmos. You say, what do all these people have in common? They were hurt deeply. They were broken. And then they were multiplied to help people in a great way. And I'm here today to tell you that if you want God to have you, if you want God to use you, then you're going to have to let God break you. Letter C, we see His bestowing. Look at verse 16. The Bible says, Then He took the five loaves and two fishes, and looking up to heaven, He blessed them, the blessing, and break the breaking, and gave to the disciples to set before the multitude. All of us here today want to be charitable. We want to help a hurting and dying and dark world. But you can't do it until you're willing to put yourself in His hands. You'll do that. Well, you can be bestowed. You can be given. You can be used to make a difference. I wake up every morning and I stumble out of bed and my knees crick and crack and I, I, I get in the shower and I, I look in the mirror, I'm brushing the, the four, four hairs I have left on my head and, and I'm getting myself ready in the morning and I look at this flesh, this frail flesh that I have and I, I, I wonder how can God use this temporary finite flesh to make a difference and the way He does it is that He takes the good that He puts in our hearts and He shines that light on the world to make an eternal difference and if you want God to bestow you on a dark world, then you're going to have to let Him bless you, then break you, and then bestow you. Boy, that's a different heartbeat than Andrew and Philip had. But it's the heartbeat that the lad had. And it's the heartbeat that you and I must have. Some of you here today, God has been trying to call you to do something great. You've been holding out. Let me, let the, let me make the rubber hit the road and I'll shut it down this morning. Pastor Dave, Pastor Mike, or myself will stand up here and we say, Hey, we have ministry needs. We need you to do option A, option B, or option C. Option A is the hardest. Option C is the easiest. You know which one we get the most volunteers for? Option C. Well, I'll give you the canned beets, Lord. No, no, no. God wants a line behind option A. Give me the hard thing. I want that mountain. It belongs to me. Let me, let me really make the rubber hit the road. 
This church has raised a lot of money to buy a bus. We talked about last Sunday night in our business meeting about how we're getting ready to buy a new bus. A couple of new buses. One of them is going to be used to go into Bridgeport and bring boys and girls to church. The truth is, if that bus was sitting right out here right now, it would just sit there. You know why? We don't have any CDL drivers to drive it that are available. We need a host of people to say, Pastor, I will get my CDL. And I will drive that bus to bring boys and girls to church. Say, oh, but pastor, the time. Oh, but pastor, the sacrifice. Can I make you a promise? You won't regret it when you get to heaven. You won't regret it. Some of you in here, it isn't about driving a bus. For some of you in here, it's just about giving up and being to church every week. It's that next step forward. Wherever it needs to be. It's that giving yourself to the Lord and saying, I'm holy and totally yours. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Will you give your lunch to Jesus today?